Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Well, this morning we're gonna, I I will, I'm excited about today. Because I know the last couple of weeks in the book of Malachi have been tough. You walk out of here feeling like a punching bag, that's the way I have felt the last two, three weeks. But I can so excitedly tell you today that we've got some good news. We've got some great news in Malachi chapter three. And so we're gonna jump right into that this morning because we got a lot to unpack here. But I think we can all agree that we've all been a part of those conversations. You know when that person comes to you and they said, we need to talk. You know, that's always just like, dun, dun, dun. That's never good. We need to talk. And then a lot of times they will follow it up with, I need to talk, but you know, there's some, there's some good news and there's some bad news. And then they always do what? Give you the option of, which one do you wanna hear first? I don't know about you, but I'm always, just give me the bad first, because I always wanna end on the good. I was always that way, even growing up playing basketball, you never leave the gym on a missed shot. You've always gotta make your last shot. Sometimes it would take an hour or two to make that, but we never leave on a missed shot. And so that's kind of the mentality that that I have now is if you've got bad news and good news, give me the bad first because a lot of times when there's the bad news, the good news seems just that much better, right? Because you've got to weigh out the options here. But that's really what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at some bad news, but praise be unto God, we're gonna get to look at some good news today. And so in in Malachi chapter three, um, through the prophet Malachi, God is going to address this good news and bad news. But before we jump into chapter three, we, we really need to go back the very last verse of chapter two to kind of see where this conversation between God and the children of Israel is coming from. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Malachi chapter two and we're gonna read verse 17. And I think you're gonna hear a lot of your voice in the children of Israel in this verse, if you're anything like me. Malachi chapter two, verse 17 Remember, the prophet Malachi is speaking to the priest and ultimately to the children of Israel. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? What we read here is, is Malachi is letting them know, hey, look, you are wearing God out. One one scholar said this. He said that Malachi is telling them that God is so tired of them going through the motions that they have bored him to tears with their hypocrisy. And not only have they been jumping through the hoops of church, like we've been talking about for the last two to three weeks, just going through the motions, been caught in the rut of just checking church off the box. Not only are they doing that, but every time the prophet Malachi speaks and calls them out, they give some sarcastic comment or some sarcastic question 
to rebuttal the, the calling out that Malachi is sharing with them. And we just hear this sarcastic, this sarcastic attitude they have. But as we've been looking this entire, you know, first and second chapter, we see that they're just full of hypocrisy. They're jumping through all of the hoops. They're doing all of the right things. And then not only that, when they're called out on it, then they're sarcastic and say, what are you talking about? How many of us love when we call out our kids? I can hear it now. Brock, oh, what? Y'all can all relate, right? Especially if they're watching TV or they're laying on the couch. Cooper, oh, what? I believe with everything in me, that was kind of the heart of the children of Israel and these priests. Every time they were called out by God, it was just like almost, oh, what now? And he says, look, you're wearing God out. Oh, what have we done now? Can y'all all relate? And you know, as parents, that's the one thing that you just absolutely, you do. You wanna smack them right upside the jaw and say, would you hush? Just listen to me. Well, that is kind of the mindset that I think this whole conflict that's going on here. I think Malachi is calling out their disobedience. He's calling out all of the hoops they're jumping through. And every time he does, it's always that, oh, what now? Because if you read the whole book of Malachi, there's like eight situations that occur like this. This is like number five. So we've still got three left of this sarcastic mindset that we're hearing from the children of Israel. And so that's what we're hearing here. He says, look, you've wearied the Lord. You have wearied God. And it's almost as if they go, what have we done now? What have we done now? And so if we go back just in these first two chapters, we see that they've, they're just checking church off the box. They're forgetting all of the promises of God. And then they're sarcastic in their questioning God. They're sarcastic in their comments back to God. And we even hear that here at the end of that verse 17. They ask, how, how are we doing now? What have we done now? And then they say that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. And then here's that question. Where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? Now, if we're gonna paraphrase this conversation that's going on, and if we're gonna kind of put it in today's context, I think we can all relate because this is kind of the age old question. Why is it that the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper? How many of us would ask that question today? It just seems like evil just keeps on winning. And it seems like us, the good people, us Christians, we keep getting the short end of the stick. And it just always appears that evil just keeps winning. And there's many of us in this room right now that we've probably gone through the last couple of years and probably asked that same question. Where in the world is the God of justice? Or am I the only cynical one in here that thinks that way? God, where are you at? God, why is it that every time that I think, okay, this has got to be the last bad event that we're gonna experience. This, it can't get any worse. And then guess what happens? You turn the news on and you're like, well, we missed that one. It just got worse again. And we will throw our hands up in the air and we'll say, God, where are you? God, where is the God of justice? Why does it always appear 
that evil just keeps winning. But what I want you to hear, I want you to be encouraged by this. We're not the only folks that that feel that way. This goes back through the history of mankind. You don't have to flip there, but in Psalms chapter 73, we read there. In Psalms chapter 73, kind of the same conversation is going on. The psalmist writes this in verses two and three. He says, but as for me, my feet keep close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How many of us have gotten almost to a place where we're jealous because evil just keeps on winning? It just appears that the church, that the Christians, that we can't even catch a break. And we scratch our heads going, God, where are you at? Where are you at? But what this does is this kind of primes the pump to go back to look at what we looked at last week. You remember we shared last week that that God does not bless disobedience. And so here you have the the priest, you have the children of Israel, they're going, God, we're doing all the right things. We're bringing our offering. We're not gonna mention that it's only our half-hearted, it's only our leftovers. But, But we're jumping through the hoops, we're bringing the offering, we're going to church. We got perfect attendance in Sunday school. I check the box, I read my Bible daily. But why is it, God, that it just seems like I can't catch a break? I'm doing all the right things. And then you have this pagan world over here who God, who doesn't even acknowledge you. And it appears that they just keep on winning. Now they know that they're not on fire for God. They know that they're not completely sold out. They know that they're not fully walking in obedience. So they're sort of stuck right here in the middle. They're saying, look, God, we're not as bad as the pagans. And Lord, I know that I'm not where you want me to be. I know I'm not bringing my best, but God, I'm sort of in the middle. I'm checking all the boxes. I'm bringing what I've got left over. So God, why won't you bless this? Remember, this is disobedience. God has called us to holiness. God wants all that we have. And so here the children of Israel are going, God, I'm here in the middle. God, you won't bless this, but the wicked over here, it just seems like they keep winning. Well, I think we can all think of a verse that references just that. Revelation chapter three, verses 15 through 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. I wish you were on fire for me or I wish you were just a pagan world because of this. So because you are lukewarm, you're stuck in the middle, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God is saying, look, I would just rather have nothing at all if you're just gonna sort of straddle the fence and be stuck in the middle. Because that is so in confusion to a lost world. That is so in confusion in my church. That is so in confusion in my people. Because you claim to be one thing, but you're not fully committed to the one thing that you claim. You're just sort of stuck in the middle. And God says, you know what? I'd rather you be over here than I had you be stuck in the middle. I'd rather you just be hot or cold. And so we, we, we hear all of this 
But we know that God is not going to bless this disobedience. And they're angry with God. They're frustrated with their God. They're saying, God, we're doing all the right things. But God, why don't you just bless just this little half-hearted effort we're giving? God, just bless us a little bit. Because God, we're going through the motions. We're checking all the boxes. But instead, they, they ask the question, God, why aren't you gonna do anything to the evil people? We're not as bad as they are. So God, why don't you do something to the evil people? What are you going to do? Then we look in chapter three. We look in chapter three and now we're gonna hear the heart of God. We're gonna hear what is to come to answer their questions. Where is the God of justice? Chapter three, verse one, the very first word we read there, behold. We're gonna talk about that word several more times this morning, but what we see is behold, it says, hey, fix your eyes on it, you get ready for it, you prepare, you be on the lookout because here's what's coming. I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here you have the messenger Malachi who is talking about two more messengers that are coming. The very first messenger that he references here, he talks about, he says, my messenger who is going to clear the way. Now we would have to jump to the New Testament to fully understand who he's talking about. But when he says the messenger who is coming to clear the way, he's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist and he's coming and, and we read all through the scriptures. It says that John the Baptist is coming with the heart of Elijah. And what that means is he's coming with the heart of Elijah that he's calling people to repent and he's calling people to get ready for the coming of the Savior. He is preparing the way for Jesus Christ to be born on this earth, to be offered as that unblemished sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And we even read that in John chapter one. John the Baptist says that, he says, look, here he comes. Here is the one who has been sent to take away the sins of the world. He's greater than me, so now I'm just gonna kind of slide out of the way and let Jesus do what Jesus was sent to do. And so when we hear the messenger who's gonna come to prepare the way, He's talking about getting ready for Jesus to come. He says, look, children of Israel, you've made a mess of this. You can't be good enough. You can't do the right things, but oh, but be ready because your loving father, I'm sending my only son to take away the sins of the world. I'm sending my only son to do what you can't do. And he's preparing the way for the coming of Christ. And what we see here is, that when Christ first comes, and when talking about John the Baptist, he's coming as savior. He came to the world, he was born into Bethlehem as the savior of the world to take away the sins of the world. So this is the messenger. This is what John the Baptist is talking about. But then the next thing we see is the messenger of the covenant. It says that we see the messenger of the covenant. So John speaks to him coming as savior, but what this is talking about, the messenger of the covenant is Jesus. The messenger of the covenant is Jesus Christ. But what we have to make sure that we understand, this is not talking about the birth of Christ. 
The messenger of the covenant, when he comes, this is in reference to his second coming. This is the one that we haven't seen yet. This is the one that we know that he's coming back to call his children home, that he's calling us. He's coming to gather all of the sheep together to be with him. This is the second coming. This is the messenger of the covenant. This is who Jesus Christ is. And this is what Jesus Christ is gonna come. Because remember the first time he came as savior, but the second time he's coming, guess what? He's coming as judge. And that's something that we don't like to talk about because it makes us uncomfortable. It, it, it stirs up fear in us. But can I tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith in him as Lord, there's no need to fear because you're his. Just like the children of Israel were the fathers. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then church, we have nothing but excitement to think about the returning of Christ because this is the day that we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is the day that we are wiped spotless clean And so church, that's what we get excited about. If you're in Christ, the second coming is the reason that we keep doing what we're doing. The reason that we keep doing what we're doing. And so he came first as savior and he's gonna come again as judge. But then God kind of, through Malachi, sort of flips this whole thing on his head. Because remember the children of Israel, the priests are asking all of these questions. So God then returns a question with two questions. So look at Malachi chapter three, verse two. Malachi chapter three, verse two. He asked them this question, but who can endure the day of his coming? This is talking about the second coming. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. So he asked the question, who can endure and who can stand? So when Jesus Christ returns, when he comes back to get his church, who will remain? So if he's asking who will remain, that lets us know that there's gonna be some folks that don't remain. Are you really gonna talk about that? Yeah, we're gonna talk about that because it's the truth of God's word. You're either gonna be in Christ or you're not. You're either gonna be called his child or you're gonna be called his enemy. You're either gonna remain or you're gonna hear depart from me for I don't know you. And I know that is a very sobering thought to a lot of us. But if you're in Christ today, this is the good news. Because if your faith is found in him, we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to worry about. But he asked them this question, who's gonna be, in, who can endure and who can stand? So we see this good news. And so that's where we know that God's a lot different than me. He shares the good news first. I'd have rather heard the bad news and then we could fix it with the good news. But he just goes and jumps right into the good news. He says, who is going to remain? Who is gonna remain? Look at verses three and four. And then he kind of explains this refiner's fire and this fuller soap. Verses three and four, he says, he will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Verse four, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, 
as in the former years. Now he uses two analogies here to help the children of Israel understand what it's gonna be like when Christ comes again. He said, he's gonna come as the refiner's fire. Now I shared about this about two weeks ago, it just in closing, it really wasn't even in the message that day. But if you know anything about refiner's fire and we look at pure, the pure state of gold and silver, when gold and silver are found in their purest form, they're extremely valuable. But what we find is that embedded deep inside that gold and that silver are impurities that diminish the value of that gold and that silver. And so you see, as, as, as Jesus comes back as the refiner's fire, what he's gonna do is he's going to reveal all of these blemishes. He's gonna reveal everything that makes the gold and the silver not pure. And so it talks about what a refiner would do is they would, they would heat up this, this clump of gold or they would heat up this clump of silver on a fire in a flame. And what it does is it turns it almost to a liquid consistency. But because gold and silver are heavier than the impurities, the gold and silver would sink to the bottom and the impurities would float to the top. And so then the refiner would take tools and he would pick out every blemish. He would pick out every little thing that doesn't make that gold or silver pure. And I shared this a couple of weeks back and this is the beautiful part of this. Do you know how that the refiner would know that it was finished? Do you know how the refiner would know that the gold and the silver was in its purest form? When all the blemishes were gone and the refiner could look and see his reflection in the gold and the silver. Church, that is the refiner's fire. And so God is wanting to encourage the children of Israel. He says, look, I know you've got a lot of impurities. I know you still deal with sin. I know you still deal with ungodliness. I know you still deal with half-hearted worship, but there's coming a day that when Christ comes, he's gonna purify you. He's gonna make you clean for eternity. And church, that's good news. We don't have to have it fixed because the Holy Spirit of God is gonna do it for us. Church, that is good news. Then he talks about this fuller soap. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, okay, if I've got to choose between fuller soap and the refiner's fire, I'm going with some soap. You know, just kind of cleanse me up. But man, I want you to study that because what fuller soap was used for is it was to make cloth wider. It was to cleanse cloth. But what we find out is this, this what they call soap was a very acidic liquid that smelled terrible. And so the, the cleaner would take and, and dip that cloth into that acid. And then they would take and spread it out all over the ground. And then guess what the job was of the cleaner to do then? To step on it, to squish it out, to walk on it, to pick it up and to rub it together. And what all of this friction that's happening is causing all of the impurities to leave it because of a reaction to this acid that it's been dipped in. So I really don't know that being rubbed together, being in friction, being stepped on, being trampled is much better than being placed over a flame. They're both pretty brutal if you ask me. But the beauty of it is, is this is how God refines us. This is how God is gonna make the children of Israel clean. He's coming back as the refiner's fire and the fuller soap. He's going to do for them what they could not do on their own. And church, I don't know about you, but that is good news for me. And that is good news for you that when Jesus Christ comes again as judge, he's gonna do what we could not do. 
He's gonna wipe us spotless. But the reason that we read about that is because Malachi's warning, or, or God through Malachi is warning the children of Israel to hear, say, look, there's coming a day that you're gonna be made clean. You're still gonna stumble, you're still gonna fall, you're still gonna make mistakes, but because you are the fathers, he will make you clean. And the reason that he's making you clean is that you can offer him your best so that your worship will be pure. There'll be no sin, there'll be no blemishes, and we will be able to offer our Lord and Savior the best we have because of what he's done for us, not because of what we've done. And so we read this and we hear this good news for the children of Israel. So you say, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us, the New Testament church? Can I tell you that the refiner's fire in the fuller's soap is the sanctification process for us? for the children of Israel. Now look, this is tough for us to hear. This is tough for us to hear because this is where we can actually get a glimpse of that following Jesus Christ is not gonna be comfortable. Following Jesus Christ is going to be hard. Following Jesus Christ, when we constantly have to die to ourselves, this is a tough thing as a Christ follower to do because we still wrestle with the flesh. We still have desires. We're still gonna mess up. We're still gonna fall flat on our face. But what I want you to hear is this refining fire and this fuller soap for us is what we live in every day as a follower of Christ. You see, we are actively living in this refiner's fire. We are actively living under this fuller's soap. One scholar wrote this. He said, the furnace of affliction for his family is always for refinement, never destruction. You know, you may be in a season in your life right now that you feel like you are in a fire. You feel like you can't catch a break. And look, I'm just like you. When we're in those tough situations, what is our go-to prayer? God, extinguish this fire. God, get me out of this mess. God, this is tough, this is hard. God, I don't wanna live in this. But what would it look like if his children, understanding the love that he has for us, what we're walking through is the refining process. It's not meant for destruction. And if what if we begin to pray? And look, I'm not telling you I'm there all the time. What if instead of saying, God, remove, from me, remove me from this fire, if we fell on our face and said, God, reveal yourself to me in the middle of this fire. Because God, I know you're gonna prove your faithfulness to me. God, I know you're gonna prove your love for me because this fire that I'm walking through is not sent to destroy me, but is sent to make me more like your son. You know, I know I've shared the story 8 million times, so this will be 8 million in one. I remember when I thought we were losing our oldest son. That was a refiner's fire. And you better believe with everything in me, I prayed over and over and over, God, just heal him. God, just heal him. Take me out of this fire. Take him out of that fire. And you know what? Nothing ever happened because I had this selfish desire that I wanted. Now look, every parent in here is gonna pray that your child is healed. 
I get that. But I remember it took me getting angry with God. It took me getting mad at God because God wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. But I remember that day that I said, God, you know what? My way may not be your way. And so God, if it's your will, you take my child because you love him more than I do. And just like that, guess what happened? God began to heal my little boy. Now look, that's not some magic formula to follow and you say, well, you know what, Brian? I've been, I've been begging God to, to heal my aunt, my mom, my brother, my sister. So you're telling me if I just pray, God, just take them, then they're gonna get better. No, I'm not telling you that. His ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. Same for you. But what I do know is what my prayer meant was, God, it doesn't matter what comes, I'm gonna trust you. And you know what? That wasn't easy to pray. That was not easy to pray to say, God, I'm just gonna trust you in this fire. Because just we sang it a minute ago, there's another in the fire. He never promised us that we're not gonna be in a fire, but he did promise us that we would never be alone in it. So instead of asking God to extinguish it, what would it look like if we begged God to reveal himself in it? Your faith is gonna be strengthened. You're gonna receive boldness like you've never experienced before. But today, what I want us to do is to think about that. We are living in a refiner's fire. Every day of our life, God is molding and shaping us into the image of his son. We are under this idea of this fuller soap. We are in friction because God is trying to cleanse us. He is trying to mold us just like who his son is. Look, we all, I shared the story last week about the person that passed me right over here. Y'all remember that? Remember, I didn't pray for him. Remember? I like pulled over and wasn't letting her pass me. I was mad. And so really I was laughing. I thought, okay, I, you know, whatever. Guess what happened again this week? Same thing. And you know what I wish I could tell you? I wish I could say I responded differently. I held the horn down this time. And literally as they drove past me, I began to laugh. And I know that's small, but I said, you know what, God? You're refining me. You're refining me. You're not wanting me to respond in the flesh, God. You're wanting to me respond in love. And so we're always in this refiner's fire until that day. Until that day when Christ returns. And on that day, we'll be washed clean and presented holy before a holy God. And it has nothing to do with you. Because when he comes back as judge, you know, that's a very strong word. Because if you're anything like me, I immediately get the visual of a courtroom. And so there's my savior, my judge. And the reality is, is you're gonna hear one of two verdicts. There's gonna be a list of those sins And you'll either stand guilty for them 
or you will hear not guilty. That one was paid for. That one was paid for. You know, I was reminded of a song. And no, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. But the title of the song was released, or the song was released in 2009, I believe it was. But it's the song, Not Guilty. And you know, there's the visual that I want all of us to have, that there's coming a day that every person in this room will stand before the judge. Every person, there's no escaping that. And so I wanted to share the lyrics of this song. And I want you to visualize just you standing before the nail-scarred hands of your Savior. And you're standing before him as judge. Because when he comes again, he's coming as judge. But the lyrics of the song go like this. It says, I stand accused. There's a list a mile long, all of my sins, of everything that I've done wrong. I'm so ashamed. There's nowhere left for me to hide. This is the day that I must answer for my life. My fate is in the judge's hands. But then he turns to me and he says, I know you. I love you. I gave my life to save you. Love paid the price for mercy and my verdict is not guilty. How can it be? I can't begin to comprehend what kind of grace would it take to place all of my sins. I stand in awe now that I have been set free and the tears well up as I look at the cross because it should have been me. It should have been me. My fate was in the nail-scarred hands. He stretched them out for me and he said, I know you, I love you. I gave my life to save you. Love paid the price for mercy, my verdict, not guilty. And then the response, I'm falling on my knees to thank you. With everything I am, I'll praise you. Not half-hearted. With everything I am, I will praise you. So grateful for the words I heard you say, I know you, I love you. I gave my life to save you. I can't get that song out of my mind. Because if you're here this morning, you're either going to hear guilty or not guilty. That's it. Have you trusted Jesus as Lord or have you not? Have you called on him to save you? Have you repented of your sins? And have you placed your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of those sins? Or have you not? It's very simple. And we see there that that's what he's promising the children of Israel. Verse six, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. Because you're mine, you're not consumed by the fire. Because you're mine, you're not destroyed. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you're his. And you will not be consumed. You will not be cast out. You will remain because of where your faith is. You say, well, Brian, I did this yesterday or I did that yesterday. 
So? You've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of those very sins. The ones you did yesterday, the ones you're going to do today, and the ones you're going to do next year. They've already been paid for. They've already been paid for. So for us as the church, as the followers of Christ, for the children of Israel who were chosen by God, this is all good news. This is all good news that our salvation was nailed to the cross. That we are in the middle of this refiner's fire. We are under the fuller soap. We are being purified, but there's coming a day when he comes again, when we will be made clean for eternity. So that's the good news. But here's the bad news. Look at verse six, or verse five, I'm sorry. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely. And against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, and widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and they do not fear me says the Lord of hosts. The bad news is, is while some will remain, he's also coming back to judge the wicked. To judge those who do not fear him, to judge those who do not love him, to judge those who have not placed their faith in the finished work of the cross. So this is the bad news. And And look, I know that if you're anything like me, we can look at this world and we can think about those things and we can say, where is the God of justice? I want the wicked, the evil people to pay for what they're doing. What God convicted me of this week is he said, Brian, that used to be you. That used to be you. And you talk about a sobering thought because I was thinking in my flesh of all the people, yeah, I can't wait till Christ comes again because you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay. But what God realized and what he showed me is guess what, who also belongs in that list of who's gonna pay is people that I love. It's family members that I know don't know him. And I can't pick and choose who pays and who doesn't because I'm not the judge. That is the one that is coming, the messenger of the covenant. That's his job. In church, that's hard. I know it's hard to pray for evil people. But guess what? That was once you. You were once an enemy of God until the Holy Spirit drew you to himself and opened your eyes for salvation. So while we look at that as bad news, that there's coming a day when he will judge the wicked. And it says, you notice he said that that he's coming as the Lord of hosts. It means that he's gonna be leading an army that's going to defeat evil once and for all. And if you're in Christ, we're a part of that army. We're a part of that army. And so we can look around the world right now and it may seem that evil just continues to win, but there's coming a day that evil will experience defeat for eternity. 
Evil will experience defeat for an eternity because they're going to hear you're guilty. Guilty as charged. So we see here that's it's really pretty simple. As you sit here this morning, you've either been saved by grace or you haven't. Romans chapter two, verses five and six. We read here, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day before the Father where you're gonna hear guilty or not guilty. And I'm so thankful for testimonies like Hayden's, but because she's placed her faith in Jesus Christ, she as a child of God is going to hear not guilty, not guilty. And so this morning I, I thought, man, how do, we, how do we close this out? How do we wrap up this concept of this good news and bad news? We're gonna do something different because I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit of God do what he does. I don't have the, the power, I don't have the influence to persuade you to make a decision. Because if I can stand here and talk you into something, then somebody else can talk you out of it. But when the Holy Spirit of God draws you to himself, you repent of your sins, you trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the forgiveness of those sins, the Bible says that you are sealed till the day of redemption. And so what I wanna do is, I wanna close out by just reading in Matthew chapter 25. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear what the word of God says. Matthew chapter 25, and I'm just gonna kind of read through some verses here. And like I said, I don't care if you've heard anything I've said this morning, but I want you to listen. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Maybe I should start by saying, behold, pay attention, listen. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on his left. Then the king will say 
to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are you guilty or are you not guilty? Because judgment's coming. You will be declared guilty or not guilty. If you're declared guilty, that's the worst news you could ever hear. If you're declared not guilty, Praise be unto God for your salvation in Christ Jesus the Lord. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Because right now it sounds that there's good news if I'm in Christ, if I've been saved, and if I'm not, it's bad news. That's true. But remember, we're always gonna end with good news, right? If you're here this morning and there's breath in your lungs and there's still a heart beating inside your chest, there is still time to be Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.